electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody, and Merry Christmas Eve, Eve. It has certainly not been a merry month for your money, especially in technology. However, it has actually been a pretty good quarter for stocks. So with that in mind, what is the next move for your money and the markets? Just five trading days left in the year. We've got much to do and much to say with your investment committee today. And that is Kerry Firestone, Bryn Talkington, and Rob Seachin. All right. First up, we're going to check on the markets. And we have been swinging really between gains and losses today. Kind of expected. Obviously, we got a three-day weekend over the Christmas holiday as well. Not a lot of action necessarily, but kind of up and down. Now, overall, the S&P and the NASDAQ were on pace for their third straight week of losses. However, the Dow is trying to snap a three-week losing streak. The Dow right now is up 113 points. Not a boom day, but in the green, up three-tenths of 1%. The 10-year yield is at three point, what is that, uh, 7.4% as well. All right. So, Kerry Firestone, good to see you. Let us start with you. And while certainly it has been a rough month for stocks since the CPI number came out, markets have just sort of been taking body blow after body blow, It's actually been a pretty good quarterly run. Listen to these, dare I call them, random but interesting stats. Best quarter for the Dow in two and a half years. 45 NASDAQ 100 stocks are up 10% or more this quarter. Eight up more than 30%. And 116 S&P 500 stocks as of right now are up 20% or more just this quarter. Weaker in the near term. A little better in the medium term. How do you read it? Hi, Brian. Nice to see you, too. Well, it's it's true that this quarter has been this mixed bag where you've had some stocks that were really decimated for the first three quarters of the year or the first 11 months of the year start to really show something that's coming up um, in, in a better way. And that's a function of the numbers just getting to a point where value investors start to look around and say, gosh, you know, here we are at 3,600 on the S&P, and maybe we can move that needle up. And so we've hit 3,800 on the S&P six times since June, six times the market's gone up and down and up, and it keeps sort of crossing that 3,800 level, which is happening, you know, today again. And it shows that there are some buyers that come out of their bunkers in the cellar and they buy Meta or they buy a little PayPal or they put more money into the names that have been working, whether it's energy stocks or O'Reilly. But there have been some ways to make money despite all of the carnage because we've seen lower inflation numbers. We've seen some improvement in PCE. There are some signs that at a certain point the Fed's going to stop hiking and earnings Estimates are going to stop going down. And so for the brave, for the intrepid, I think that you can make a case. But the market still has the jitters and investors are very negative. 
Well, I mean, Rob, you know, Kerry's nailing it on this 3,800. I mean, it seems like, to use a war reference, the Maginot line. I mean, that 3,800 on the S&P just testing, resistance, testing, fail, up, back. Now it's, it's holding. I mean, I know we're all not technical analysts here, but that number, and that, that seems really critical for the macro market. Yes? You have to respect the technicals here. There's no question about it. We've been talking about technicals all year and and kind of selling when you reach the the upper end of the 200 day moving average which is about 4100 just slightly shy of that and then adding to exposure as you get to the lower end of that range and so right now we are still in a downtrend we haven't been able to get enough news to allow us, uh, Brian, to meaningfully break above that. And why is that? And it's because the central banks are still in inflation tightening mode. Yes, there's data that's indicating some softening, but the Fed is still pushing back against what markets are telling us. In addition, you have the ECB and the Bank of Japan as shows that the largest central banks of the world are also in inflation and tightening in mode. And so two softer CPI prints um, are not enough to uh, uh, allow markets to kind of break out of this. And when you have upward pressure on yields, it puts downward pressure on stock valuations. And we're not going to be allowed to uh, achieve that technical escape philosophy. And that is why we have continued to be negative. We continue to be cautious. We will not chase anything higher. And frankly, the growth stocks are still at the most risk for falling. And that's really the reasonably priced growth stocks you can look at. But most growth stocks still traded a premium to the market. And so, you know, valuations aren't compelling until you get to the lower end of those ranges. We are just saying respect yeah. the, the technicals. The technicals and also, Bryn, I would respect the money flows, and they have not been good. I'm going to read something here from Bank of America to make sure I get it right in my old eyes. Bank of America noting $27.8 billion in outflows from what they call passive equities. That is a record. So we have just, you wonder why we're weak? Well, it's always more sellers than buyers or the opposite. You can insert any reason you want why, but here's the reality. There is a lot of people dumping stocks. Is this just some kind of tax loss selling heading into, you know, when the calendar changes, things will turn? What's your take? I think that, you'll, of course, you have some of that. And I wouldn't read too much into the, the weekly fund flows. What I would re read into is where the real flows are coming and going, and that's with the central banks. And so you have globally, all now major central banks are tightening globally you have quantitative tightening on top of raise, rising rates and i just think that's going to continue to put this pressure on, on a lid on on valuations and so i think these these weekly bank of america you know flows show you that number one you have tax i'm sure tax loss harvesting at the end of the year but also just that sentiment of that as long as the fed is the visible hand of the market and central banks around the globe, that is just going to put pressure, and that's a grind. And so I think that you really have to respect the technicals. I think the S&P, the NASDAQ continue to make lower highs. And until that trend changes, I think we're going to continue to be in this, in this churn to the downside. And, you know, I think what worked in 2022 and what didn't work is going to continue at least the first part of the year. Because I don't think the market really cares 
between December 31st and January 1st. I don't think the calendar year will, will flip the script on, on, on what's working. You know, and Bryn, I'll come right back to you on that. And, and by the way, I hope everybody out there in Houston or Texas, it's like 15 degrees in Texas right now, but lights are still on. So that's that's a positive. Uh, Bryn, you know, if somebody said to me, why do you why would you be bullish next year if you had to be? It's because everybody seems to be bearish. I mean, this year, the, the strategist estimates were all 4,700 to 5,400. Next year, they're in like some of them are in the mid to high 3,000s. Everybody flipped, which how do you feel about that? When everybody goes to one side, maybe you zag instead of zig. I don't know. I think that's always a good recipe. And so if everyone's, if everyone's a seller, there's no one left to sell. And so I think there is a that's tremendous it. amount of runway between today and December 31st of 2023. And I think that so much can change. On the positive side, you know, the third year of a presidential election is historically the strongest. You know, we already are seeing the two-year now below Fed funds. If we can get that to be 30, you know, 20 to 30 basis points, historically, that's been a very good signal that the Fed will pause. And so if we go into next year where the, where the Fed pauses but stays, and we can actually do some modeling around what price should I pay for these earnings with the multiple yeah. that we had, that could be very constructive on a lot of different companies. So, so I think investors should ignore year-end price targets because there's just so much that happens between that that you cannot prognosticate all of those different data points. And so I say take the data points, but there's definitely some positive things on the horizon in, in these markets. And that's why we're all long-term investors. Otherwise, we just put our cash under the mattress and, and go home. Well, you know, cash under the mattress maybe doesn't sound so bad, at least this year, <laughs> Bryn. That would have been a winning strategy. We're going to bring Steve Leesman in just a second, so I better watch what I say, Rob, because I, 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 Steve, if you can hear me now, just pull your IFB out. I don't want you to hear this. We're so Fed-obsessed. Bryn's talking about it. Everybody's talking about this, idea, this supposed pivot. You're adding to the IYM. That's kind of a China reopening play. Are we that sort of subservient to the Federal Reserve in these markets? Is there anything else that matters now besides the Fed and inflation, or literally, is that it? Well, I think the economy's been incredibly resilient, and the one thing that ha that has done is kept the Fed engaged. And so you have to be worried about the Fed. You can't you can't push that to the side because it's it's critically important to valuations, which is the next thing you have to pay attention to. And when we think about value and we think about where we are today, we're basically trading at 17 and a half times forward earnings if you expect forward earnings to come in flat. If there's any recession whatsoever, it's likely that earnings are going to decelerate, which makes this market markedly more expensive. And so you don't just have to pay attention to the Fed, you have to pay attention to fundamentals. And while positioning mm -hmm. is great to talk about, and it leads to short-term bounces and oversold rallies, you cannot use that as a framework for making long-term investment decisions. Now, one thing that I'll say, Brian, is that while markets yeah. are expensive, there are stocks within markets that are not quite as, quite as expensive. And if you pay attention to fundamentals, you're going to be able to identify stocks that have catalysts, that aren't as expensive, and their earnings yeah. can outgrow the market. 
And we're going to get to some of those names in a moment. But first, before we go to Steve, Kerry Firestone, a very quick game. One to ten, ten being all important. How important is the Federal Reserve to the U.S. equity markets right now? Ten. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> ten? Has to be. It's a Bo Derek <laughs> market. Important. It's a look, they, wow. See how the market reacts. Just look at how the market reacts to what the Fed does. I mean, that has been the big okay, determinant of direction in the market, right? See what Steve says. I, I guess I showed, showed my age with that movie reference. All right, let's bring in another 10 out of 10, and that is senior economics reporter Steve Leesman, who no doubt kept his earpiece in the entire time. Steve, a, a 10 out of 10? I'm not sure I've ever heard of a perfect Fed score before from Kerry. <laughs> They don't get a perfect score. Yeah, I think score. Carrie under. I think I think Carrie understates it. I think it's like twelve out of ten if he could change the game. You know, you know, Brian. You know what? You know what holiday it is, Brian? It's it's Festivus, and I got a lot of problem with you people. Okay. Uh oh. Uh oh. Here we go. The airing of grievances. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, it's the opposite. We had pretty good data today. I think we should talk about this. We had. Inflation kind of easing down a little bit and the consumer easing down a bit. Um, if you want something to worry about, I'd worry about the consumer. Um, you know, we had a robust October spending spree uh, and now we had a kind of zero or a goose egg, just a little bit of spending in, in November. And the question is, what happened in December? Um, what I'm interested in is this chart. I don't know if it's been made. We had a little technical problem, but it shows that you have outright goods deflation right now, Brian. And it's the service sector that mm -hmm. still remains high but has been coming down. Look at that. Betsy Spring, happy, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Got it done in a nick of time there despite the technical problem. You see that? Wow. Guys, you only see three, three down negative months on, on, on uh, goods there. But it's actually four of the past five months have been deflation. And then there's that yellow bar. That's your services bar. Um, thanks, by the way, to Joe Busuelos who calculated for me the uh, number that Powell's looking at the uh, services ex core services ex housing at an annualized rate. That's two point seven percent. So we're kind of moving in the right direction. The market wants to say we're there already. Powell wants to say, you know what, we're going to wait a little bit till we declare mission accomplished. So what I have here going in one more number, guys, uh, before we end this is I'm looking at a sixty five percent probability of a uh, 50 is basis that, point hike uh, for, for February 1, for the all-important 10 out of 10 is that, Fed meeting. Steve, is that, is it, I'm looking at the, is that inverted? Is goods yellow or blue? Which one is the deflation on the far right Good, side? Goods is blue. The one Good, that's showing the big drop. Blue. Is that, goods is blue. Okay, that's the, yeah, the, 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 the go back to the there, thing. Yeah. yeah, it shows goods being yellow uh, oh, on, the, on the sorry, legend, it's, the key uh, above it. We made it in a hurry because of the technical problem. I'm sorry, guys. My bad. All but the good. blue is the good thing. Don't, don't worry. I just want to make it clear. That. No, 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 no. Correction needed. <laughs> I want to make it clear because I was curious yeah. about it. Because you were talking about you were talking about three of the last six. That's a pretty steep deflationary environment uh, for goods. I mean, that's yeah. that's a that's a you know huge drop. You know in what's coming down, Brian? Says that's a positive Brian, sign. Just yes. for you. Just for you, you know what's uh -oh. coming down? I got the data right in front of me here. You got your used car prices coming down, your new car prices coming down. So, my friend, if you're not in the market, now is the time. And I'm very interested what's going to happen. Because one of the things that brought down spending was car spending this in this, in this particular month. And I'm wondering what's going to happen. Let's say you get those cars 
on the lots. The dealers have cars to sell. You may be getting a few incentives in there. People have been holding off because prices have been high. You might get a rebound in consumer spending through autos while you have a deflationary impulse additionally coming from autos. So I think that's a good thing setting up for the new year. And I thought, you know, why not bring the, uh, the good news for the, uh, for, for the day before the holiday? Why well, I love it. I'm actually in the market for a car, but I'm at, I'm at a point now, Steve, it's still you too expensive. Are. They're not coming down. <laughs> yeah, well, my cars are old. So that's right, how it's going to keep driving about them. You until... buying a car sometime. <laughs> I'm cheap. I, I, I love cars. I just can't, I can't do it right now. It's too... Steve Leishman, thank you very much, my man. Great stuff, as always. Happy Pleasure. holidays, Steve. All right, we'll see you soon. Yeah, you All right, so let's switch gears and talk about technology, right? Well, hey, cars are kind of technology. We know this year has wiped out trillions of dollars of your net worth from big tech. But despite this rough year, some tech names are still top picks heading into next year. Let's bring in CNBC technology correspondent Steve Kovac into the conversation, tracking some of these picks. It does seem kind of like the, the murderer's row of technology, Steve, when I see some of these names. They just they, they can't stop loving these specific stocks. Yeah, Brian, and that's despite what we saw this year. So, like, let me give you some whiplash first, Brian, and and compare what happened in 2021 to what we saw in 2022 with just a week left. You had Alphabet up last year, up 67%, down 39% this year. Amazon up just a percent last year, down 50 this year. Apple up 33, down 25 this year. Microsoft 52 up, down 29. Meta up 24%, down 65, the worst of the bunch. But look, the this is what's curious about over the last two weeks. We've been collecting these analyst notes, Brian, that Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, those are three of the most common Internet and tech names that analysts are calling as their top picks for next year, in part because they're trading at much lower multiples than they have historically done. So the belief is that part of that will kind of get reinvigorated, at least into the second half of next year. Other things, there's a, you know, some people have mixed messages here on Meta, but they believe, hey, maybe, you know, they've, they've taken all the pain they can get and there will be a rebound next year if they can kind of figure out um, how to compete better with TikTok or if TikTok gets yeah. banned, by the way. Um, and just a lot of other things. Microsoft IT spending is still going up, so Microsoft can benefit from that. Just a lot mm -hmm. of different reasons for a lot of different of these calls. Yep, I threw them into a spreadsheet, by the way. Alphabet on three top picks list, Microsoft 3 and Amazon. I think we lost Brian. All right, Brian's having some technical issues, but Steve, let's pick it up there. You mentioned yeah. that whiplash. Uh, Microsoft, you cut off in the middle there. Finish your point. Uh, I want to hear what you've, you've got to say here, what analysts are saying out there about why Microsoft is still one of these favorites despite like you mentioned, really being beaten down this year. Yeah, so part of it, uh, Kate, is this IT spending. It's uh, Microsoft is pitching itself as their, their slogan this year. You can make a drinking game out of it. Do more with less. So basically the idea is, you know, it's getting more expensive. Uh, foreign exchange is really tough for these multinational companies, and they're trying to pitch themselves and build themselves as okay. this kind of like all-in-one, uh, one-stop shop for IT spending. So they can benefit from that. Also, if the Activision deal goes through as they hope, hope it does, uh, they see a benefit in the longer term uh, for gaming, especially in mobile gaming, Kate. All right, Steve, thank you so much. Rob CJ, we want to go to you. You recently bought Meta, sold Amazon. What's your take on what Steve was just saying? 
Yeah, so let's talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about Amazon first. It's important to know that most of our Amazon position was uh, was reduced in uh, in May of 21 at about 160. We would have liked to have done more because it was starting to fade on some of our quantitative scores, but did not because we had huge embedded tax gains in, in Amazon. So we sold the remainder of our position about a week ago. Um, and declining profitability was the biggest factor in why we sold Amazon. Historically, we've been comfortable with a high valuation because of its profit margins and returns on investment capital were higher than they are today. And if you look in the, at the business in terms of specific headline, headwinds, um, declining enterprise demand from corporate clients in crypto mining and weaker margins due to high energy and labor costs. So that is something we think is such a headwind that we weren't willing to stay around for. And then you go and you think about Meta. And again, we own Meta. We sold it about 15 percent higher than here, here, taking a tax loss um, and generating uh, meaningful economic benefit for clients. At the time, it was a pretty small weight, and we bought it back at 116 after it fell by uh, 13 to 15%. Why did we add it back? Well, this is one of those names where you have to own going into 23 because it's one of the few names with a low bar uh, for growth that is already embarking on cost-cutting and efficiency efforts, right? This was a year of a wake-up call for Zuckerberg. Um, we look at Meta and think the valuation story at 11 times next year's earnings with a very low bar in easier comps is something that uh, that's important for driving upside performance in the stock. Uh, I know that Needham cut their estimates today. Heck, that's something that we love to see. And the reason we love it, this, love to see it, is because it provides that low bar. Now I know the skeptics are going to say if anybody can trip over a lower bar, it's uh, it's okay. Zuckerberg. And the the truth is that uh, you know that might happen, but we think it's such an easy hop that it's a good stock to own going into next year. Got it. The bar has certainly lowered here for tech. Rob, well, coming up, we're going to break here. Tesla tumbling, wiping out almost a trillion dollars in market cap this year. What's next for this name? Plus, energy stocks bouncing back. The top sector performer of the day this week. How the committee is going to be positioned for this heading into the year ahead. Plus, our experts are ready to grade your trade. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report.
That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back, and I am back. That's what I get for not paying my AOL bill on time. Kate Rooney, excellent stuff there. Dow's up 180. All right, let's talk more about Tesla. Tesla's down more than 60% this year. Tesla hitting a new 52-week low today. It's one of, if not the worst, major big-cap stocks in the market. Of course, Rob Seachin, there's a lot going on with Tesla. Musk has been... We do not have Rob. All right, Carrie Firestone. Bryn? <laughs> Joker's wild. Yeah, pirate, pirate, here we go. Bryn, Bryn, there you are. Fantastic. Musk has been selling it to pay for Twitter. He says he's going to stop. Do you see any turn for Tesla? Do your clients ask you about Tesla? Because it's, kind of it's kind of a cult stock. Well, you know, Elon Musk is, I think, one of the most important inventors of, of our time. What he's done is just just like short of amazing. And so I think that from that perspective, Tesla has always had an extreme premium to any other car company because he single-handedly pulled the whole car industry into the EV market. So it's like, how do you value Tesla? If you say, if I could, I could see Tesla doing $5 in earnings for 2023, which is a little under where consensus is. You put a 20 multiple, which is decent, that gives you $100. But if the market actually started to value Tesla like a car company, well then that gives it half the valuation. And I think that's where, when you're doing fundamental analysis, Tesla's always been a tough one to price because how do you value the stock? So I would never discount Elon. I think he's um, just getting started in what he's doing. I would love to own the stock. Yeah. I just, as I said, I don't know how to price it. I don't know how to value it. Yeah, still worth, I think, seven times what General Motors is. Of course, GM's got a massive debt load, so bringing down that market cap. Bryn, I'm going to come back to you again on that. This was obviously a huge part of the Kathy Wood strategy, the ARC, these money-losing companies, but you take flyers on. They're going to be the names of the future. You used to own it. You don't need more, I don't think. Are you poking around in it at all to maybe rebuy some, or is that... Is that ship sailed? No, that ship sailed. I think you, you know, going into next year, I think continue companies, the market will will penalize companies that have high multiples and aren't growing. So so whether it's a, a Kathy Woodstock or whether it's Disney, by the way, there's lots of companies that she doesn't own that aren't growing that are expensive. I think the market will continue to penalize those types of companies and the market will will appreciate companies like an energy, staples, companies that have high free cash flow. And so I think just as a sentiment, yeah. you still want to be underweight or not own those high growth, high PE um, or low growth, high PE type companies. Yeah, given the rain that we're getting in the East Coast, the only arc we need right now is built by Noah, not by Kathy Wood. You know, Rob, you note something very important here, which I, it's hard to believe, but it's true. Tesla's now become some sort of weird political stock. You know, it used to be you drove a Tesla, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm for the, you know, for the planet. Now it's almost like it's become this weird political hot button name, which might impact its trading. There's no doubt this, this this is a tough one to touch in the near term. I agree with Bryn. 
what a revolutionary thinker. He's he's unbelievable. He, he's changing. He's changing the world for all of us. That said, right now it's become a, a, a political debate. And I think it's tough to invest in front of that. What I think is really remarkable, though, about this, and it, it, it shows the shifting de- supply demand story with consumers. And it's the read through on Tesla. It's pretty remarkable on how quickly Tesla has gone from a company with way too much demand and not enough supply to now having too much supply and not enough demand and they're cutting prices. And I think we all as investors have to pay attention to what is the read through to the consumer beyond the political aspects of this. A high ticket item that is facing weakening demand and what does it mean? Our argument would be that there's pressure in the consumer economy. There's pressure underneath the surface that is building, and you, you've got to pay attention to that. And that's why we're so underweight that sector, despite the fact that it has some of the mo- uh, the strongest potential growth characteristics in the next year. Yeah, Brendan, let's take the shift quickly to energy if we can, because there was a great story on CNBC.com earlier this week that suddenly car companies are starting to rethink how fast we're gonna have this EV adoption. It was like, oh, everyone's gonna drive an electric car in 10 years. Suddenly everyone's like, wait a minute, they're still tiny. In other words, oil may actually still be a thing in 15 years. You've been buying Devon, you've bought the XOP, you own some of these sort of trust companies like a, a Viper, if you will. Where are you in the energy space right now? Well, I mean, I, I, I start with facts and facts matter. And I think the the whole nonsense that everyone thought that we were going to get rid of fossil fuels was just absurd because never in the history of mankind have we switched from a less uh, a more efficient energy source to a less efficient energy source and switching from energy to solar and windmill which are both intermittent energies has just never happened and so you know it's nice to see that people are starting to come back to reality and so I think that Fossil fuels have always been here to stay. It was just sentiment had shifted. And so I think going with next year, the way I want to play it is continuing to own the basket of names. But it is a volatile space, which actually allows investors to not only get dividends with companies like with like a a Blackstone Minerals, a Devon, but selling calls against those and taking advantage of that volatility. So I think you could get a really nice total return from the dividends and the covered calls without even that much capital appreciation in the space. Oil, one, because it's a very efficient molecule in hydrocarbon. That's, that's pretty much it. Carrie Firestone, with that aside, chemical, chemical analysis aside, you're not a fan of energy stocks, at least anymore, I don't think. Well, we haven't owned any for a number of months, and I think what we've seen is a lot of volatility in the sector. It's been the best-performing group this year and last year. But the past few months, as oil prices have gone from 90 to the low 70s has been volatile for the group. Uh, I'd say we're looking for a point of entry where we see the stocks come down another a notch, uh, re-rate as people are concerned about perhaps the war in the Ukraine coming to a resolution. And if, if energy prices do fall again, we might enter at that point. But a lot is determined by what's going on in Ukraine. And that makes the sector, I think, you know, highly speculative um, when the stocks are trading high. Hey, Brian. Just, yeah, maybe just a big industrial decline. Yeah, go ahead quickly, Rob, quickly. 
Yeah, one second on that. We're overweight. The sector came into the year our top sector. You still got to be overweight because it's cheap and it's a geopolitical and inflation hedge. So the things that everybody mentioned on this, yes, there's risk to a recession, but these hedges are important. And arguably, it's still the fundamentally most attractive sector because of underinvestment in the uh, in the infrastructure. Yeah. There's still a big gap between the commodity and the stock prices historically as well. We'll see if they come together, guys. Thank you. All right, coming up next, we are going to grade your trades. As always, you got a trade you want the halftime crew to grade, send them in on Twitter or email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. Dow is up on a Friday. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. More than a million U.S. customers are without power as strong winds and heavy snow continue wreaking havoc across the country. The National Weather Service warns the historic winter storm is sweeping across the eastern third of the nation now. Over 60 percent of the U.S. population is currently under some form of weather warning or advisory. North Korea firing two short-range ballistic missiles toward its eastern waters earlier today. This marks the latest weapons demonstration that comes just days after U.S. and South Korean warplanes conducted joint military drills. Some experts are calling the unprecedented number of missile tests North Korea is conducting as an attempt to pressure its rivals. And Spanish police saying they arrested one of the FBI's top 10 most wanted fugitives. Michael James Pratt fled the U.S. after being sentenced to life imprisonment for sexual exploitation before being captured at a hotel in Madrid while staying under a false identity. Brian, hopefully that storm is not affecting you right now. Good to see you. Good to see you as well, Bertha. I think I took a brief hit there, but we'll see. Bertha, thank you. A lot of people out there stay warm and safe. All right, it is time for Grade My Trade. All right, here we go. First, Bob and no doubt what is a very cold New Hampshire. Bob bought PayPal at $69. Bryn, you own it. How long are you going to ride this PayPal? Okay, so one out of 10, no sevens from a grading. Technically, I'll give you a six. It still looks weak in the short term. If this is a long-term investment, not a trade, I'll give you a nine. Not only has PayPal been cutting costs, but the last two quarters, their free cash flow year-over-year -year growth has been 21 and 37% respectively. The multiples come down. So I think net-net, I'll give you an eight. I own the stock. We'll add more if it gets a little bit weaker from here. We need more professors like you in academia, Bryn. That's a very generous grading. All right, next up is Dennis in Idaho bought Amgen at $167.55 in February of 2017. Sold this month at $267.20. Rob, you can grade it, but I think Dennis is just bragging at this point. Sounds like he's bragging, and we can brag too because we own it. And, and good for him. We're staying, 
we're staying long. So we, we, we don't think uh, we don't think you should have sold. It's not the most exciting grower, but it's an example of quality in the healthcare sector. Now, Dennis did great. It's up 20%. The S&P's uh, outperforming the S&P by 40%, but it still has an attractive valuation at 14 times. The trade out is a C. I'm sorry. You should have stayed long, Dennis. So that's a C because he should have, he should still own it. Got it. All right. Finally, right. engrade your trade. Ozan bought a line at $196. And Kerry Ozan is wondering if the buy was too early. Answer that and how you would grade Ozan's trade. Ozan, I like that trade. I think that a line is a stock down from over 700 to below 200 where you bought it. I think that's exceptional. That gets an A for timing. Now, whether in fact it's going to go straight up from here, as you've seen, because it's a high beta stock, you can trade around, but it's selling at 25 times earnings. I understand that's not a low market multiple, but this is a real growth company. They make the clear liners. They're leaders in the field. China is reopening. And we think that this is an opportunity uh, in this stock to make a lot of money. So, yeah, I would give you uh, an an A minus slash B plus on the whole trade. Very generous from Kerry and Bryn Seachin going full Ebenezer on with the C. All right, keep your trades coming in, everybody. Send an email to askhalftime at cbc.com or tweet us using the hashtag GradeMyTrade. All right, coming up, it is your 2023 game plan. Dow stocks that could be set up for the most gains next year based on the difference between their current price and the median price target of analysts. We did the work, so you don't have to. Markets are in the green, now trying to snap a winning streak or snap a losing streak. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's do some work for you on this Friday, get some opportunity. CNBC Pro is out with a screener on the 10 Dow stocks analysts believe will have the most gains next year based on the median price target and the current price. The top spot goes to Salesforce with a 72% buy rating and 49% upside seen. That is followed by Disney at 37% upside, Apple 28, Visa 21, and Microsoft 20. Cisco, United Health, Amex, and Intel behind that. All right, we have got some ownership on the committee on this. Kerry, let's start with Salesforce. You own it. That is 49% upside seen, but analysts... Not always right. Well, they definitely weren't right this year, anyone who was bullish. And we thought that the, the stock was reasonably priced, was attractive when we bought it too early. But at 23 times next year's earnings, and we feel pretty comfortable with that number, we think the stock is attractive. They are still by far the leader in the CRM business, the B2B business, when it comes to keeping track of everything that has to do with your clients, customers, and sales, really is impressive. And we switched to Salesforce, my company did, um, this year, and uh, we think that it's been great. I mean, they're having a tougher time getting those long-term contracts won and registered as, as sales for sure, but that's the environment, yeah. and it will come back. They have... They, they really have gotten religion about, I think, margins improving. So we think it's an attractive stock here. All right, let's switch off. Another name that has said good upside is Visa. Bryn, you own Visa. A lot of worries about the consumer, though, heading into next year. Where do you stand on V? Oh, Visa is a 
free cash flow, high margin juggernaut. And so as the consumer globally will continue to swipe that credit card, year over year, free cash flow growth for Visa is 48%. And so if you want a company that's growing, high margins, high free cash flow, I think Visa has sold off with the rest of the market this year, will continue to be a leader, especially on the other side towards the end of next year. All right. Now, finally, Rob, let's talk about United Health. Upside there seen, as there usually is. UNH, again, not the sexiest company, but a name that obviously you believe is going to be a winner longer term. Uh, we do, but we've trimmed it, to be honest with you, Brian. It's a long-term holding for okay. us. Uh, it's performed in line with the sector, but it's been a massive outperformer both to the sector and the index over the last year. And so we, we took some gain there. I would have to argue that the two on this list that are the strongest own are Microsoft and Visa. I would echo uh, what Bryn said. All right, the most upside seen in CRM, Salesforce at 50% upside. Guys, thank you all very much. All right, coming up, Sam Bankman-Fried released on a record-breaking $250 million bond. He's now at his parents' house in California. How did this happen? Kate Rooney, up next with that. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Let's get now to Kate Rooney. She's got the very latest on Sam Bankman-Fried being released on a $250 million bond. Kate. Hey, Brian. So Sam Bankman-Fried is moving back into his parents' house as part of this $250 million bail agreement. He appeared in a Manhattan court yesterday after being extradited from the Bahamas. He was granted bail on the condition that he hand over his passport and stay within Northern California and certain parts of New York. He also needs to submit to mental health counseling wear an electronic monitoring bracelet as well. And he also needs government approval for any expenses above $1,000. The judge decided Bankman-Fried wasn't a flight risk since he's gained what they called sufficient notoriety, making it impossible to engage in more financial crimes without being recognized. His parents, both Stanford law professors, put up equity in their $4 million Palo Alto home. To secure that bond, it will also be signed by at least one other non-family member. It needs four people total. For that signature, Bankman-Fried doesn't need to post that full dollar amount I mentioned, but his parents are on the hook for that if he flees or if he fails to show up to some of his upcoming court appearances. The U.S. attorney called the alleged crimes a fraud of epic proportions. He said this is the largest ever pretrial bond that they had ever seen. Real estate investor and Trump associate Tom Barrick's bond was actually at a similar level. It was around $250 million. SBF's bond, as he's also sometimes called, if you think of it in the context here, Brian, it's 25 times bigger yeah. than Bernie Madoff's. The former Enron CEO put up $5 million in Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. Her bond was set at half a million dollars. Comes as Bankman-Fried's top lieutenants, Caroline Ellison of Alameda and Gary Wang, pleaded guilty to fraud charges and are cooperating with law enforcement. Bankman-Fried was indicted in federal courts earlier this month. His next court date and court appearance coming up on yeah. January 3rd. We have, quickly, Kate, we have any idea who this non-family member is that probably put up millions of dollars to release Sam Bankman-Fried? Because the parents don't have it. No, they've Who's got to have deep pockets. Kind of yeah, we, so we don't have a name. Um, they said it's someone with significant, basically a significant net worth to be able to back this. Uh, but somebody who theoretically wow. could come up with that amount because, you know, $4 million house to a lot of people is a lot of money, but it's nowhere near that $250 million total no. that they'd be on the line for. 
and they probably owe money on the house. So it must be nice to have really deep-pocketed and well-connected friends <laughs> that can just throw up a few tens of millions of dollars at a moment's notice to get you out of jail. Yep. Kate Rooney, appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you very much, Kate. Thanks, Ellen. Merry Christmas. Merry Thank Christmas. you. All right. All right, straight ahead, the countdown to Christmas. Retail stocks on track for their third week of losses. How the committee is playing the sector next on Halftime. All right, welcome back. Let's talk retail. Many of you out there, no doubt, panic shopping ahead of Christmas right now. And fun fact, the Friday before Christmas, generally the second biggest shopping day of the year. So let's get some retail stock, stocking stuffer ideas. We'll kick it off. Kerry Firestone, a name also Rob likes, by the way. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Why are you big into auto parts? Yeah, I mean, we think it's a great stock. It's been very good this year. It's not typically the type of gift-giving product, but I'm getting my kids all jumper cables for Christmas. Hey, mate, hopefully it won't come in handy, but they might rob you. Also like O'Reilly, and you like an AutoZone as well. It's all about trade down and do it yourself. These are two stocks that have worked really, really well. We think they continue to work well. And uh, consumers are going to be pinched, and no, Santa's not coming. We're betting on that. All right, and Bryn, Costco gets all the love. I get it. BJ's Wholesale does not. Under the radar, gem. It is an under under the radar gem. It hasn't been. It's been publicly traded for a few years. It's a mini Costco. <laughs> I think it's it's high growth company. They're opening stores. They're executing. I, I really like the name here. All right, there we go. The retail stock stocking stuffers. Now we're going to nicely transition into final trades. In the draft, they call it sort of the reverse snake. So, Bryn, we'll start with you on a Friday. Give us a little opportunity in final trades. I'm going to stick with what worked this year, free cash flow. And my final trade is COWS, C-O-W-Z. They focus on the companies with the highest free cash flow yield in the rest of 1,000. They just did a rebalance. The current free cash flow yield is over 12 about a third of the portfolio's energy, but you also own companies like PayPal and Moderna. Cows. Catchy ticker, too. Rob, final trades. Happy Friday. Okay, LAC. Um, it was taken down on Micron's guidance, about 12% from its high this month, but it's a different story than, uh, than Micron in the, semis, uh, in the semi-space. They're critical tools to improve uh, semiconductor yields, and it yep. should provide some shelter for demand installation. Plus, it's pretty cheap, 17 times with 30% free cash Kerry? flow margins. Kerry Firestone? We like Charter Communications trades for nine times next year's earnings. been hit, and we like it for next year. Great stuff. Thank you all very much. Merry Christmas. Continued happy Hanukkah. We'll see you guys on the other side of the holiday. Everybody be safe out there. Scary time weather-wise. Thanks for watching, folks. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.